And so, Father, as we open your word today, give us wisdom uh, to be the best people we can be, and more importantly, to follow after you, to be um, servants of the Most High in obedience. Lord, you are glorious, and we see it in what you've revealed. And so I I just pray for help for us as we turn now to your word. Teach us your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we open up this song, this proverb, excuse me, Proverbs 25, um, you know, it can sound, Proverbs a lot of times can sound sort of random. Like we just, one thing after another, kind of machine gun style, just a bunch of really smart things to say and good wisdom and all that kind of thing. But but how how do they hang together? And as we look at this proverb, the way that this hangs together is found in verses 2 through uh, 6. And in verses 2 and 3 is one proverb that's explained in the rest of the book. And then verses 4 and 5 is another proverb that's explained in the rest of the book. So in verses 2 and 3, we see this, that God is glorious and over everything, and he has revealed himself to us. So there's a lot of things we can understand about God, but there's some stuff we can't understand about God. And kings are like God in the sense that, that there's a lot of stuff bound up in their heart, and we're never going to understand why they do the things that they do. So there's a mystery connected with kings. And the word kings there is earthly kings. Uh, that is, people who govern world affairs. They, they do what they're going to do, and we, we're all left as subjects kind of scratching our head. And so in the first couple of verses we see here, there's this relationship God kings, subjects, and all of us in that example are subjects, and we don't always understand what's bound up in the heart of the king, and certainly we don't always understand what's bound up in God's heart either. Well, that's the first proverb. We're going to look at that a little closer in a minute. The second proverb is verses, uh, verse 5 and 6, and it says here that we should, uh, excuse me, 4 and 5, take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. That second concept is this. Look, there's a righteousness and there's a wickedness in the world. And the world is going to do well if we who are righteous understand how to live our life in such a way where we're away from the wicked. And that way, we'll have our best impact on the world. So we're called to live with or among people who don't recognize God as king. And yet... Those who are righteous need to walk in that righteousness, take away the dross. And so that's the picture we have here of, uh, you know, exactly what what, Solomon is trying to communicate with us. Let's go back to our first point, though, and we're going to kind of think it through a little bit together. It's the glory of God to conceal things. God is glorious. We're not here today to just, like, check something off a list and say, okay, it was Sunday morning, I showed up, I went to church. Guys... God is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is over everything. From the beginning of time, he he set things in motion and he holds things in place. With the power of his word, he spoke and it was done. And our our proverb here in verse 2, it's the glory of God to conceal things. And and we see uh, some things that he's concealed for us in this picture that we're going to put up. uh, This incredible picture of our our, uh, galaxy. It's the Milky Way, and we see the 
the billions of stars that God has put in place. And if we look at this next picture, we see kind of the whole galaxy from afar. There's a lot of stars in there. That's a, that's a lot. I wonder, you know, I don't know how many there are, but people have counted or estimated how many stars there are. This is one of billions of galaxies that God put in place. And so somebody did a little work, and I read this week as I was kind of preparing for this, that if we would go through and we would count all of these stars, you know, one, here's one. I don't know. If we counted one star per second, it would take us 2,500 years to count the stars in our galaxy. So let me put it this way. If the people of King Hezekiah's days started the project of counting all the stars in the universe, we could have finished the project last Thursday night when we finished reading the Bible together. That's how long it would have taken them to count all the stars in one of the billions of galaxies that God spoke into existence on day four. His ways are, he he is just strong, and his ways are not our ways. We want answers so often to what God is doing, and we don't get the answers that our heart often wants. God conceals matters. He reveals enough to, to make our faith intelligent, but he conceals enough to really make us grow in our faith. And, and we, at the end of the day, are saying, okay, God, I'm going to have to trust you because I'm not getting answers from you all the time, right? And so this first proverb is, really comes down to this, that in, in order to be refre- in a refreshing influence, we advance these two principles. I'm going to stop there for a second. I say that we should be refreshing. Like, if you and I will live with wisdom in the world, we will, be su- we will make such an impact on the world around us. We will live counterculturally to the way we would without God, of course, but also the way the world is living around us. Can I just really encourage you that the Proverbs are not sort of like a bunch of random information and tidbits for people that are super Christians and, and they've mastered everything else and now they're trying to grow a little bit more. The Proverbs are God's prescription to every one of his followers for how you can live and how you should live a wise life. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about this word, chukmah, skillful living, wisdom. And so the Proverbs are a collection of how the people of God ought to live no matter how our culture lives no matter what our generation values, and no matter how I would live in my natural flesh if it weren't for the Proverbs, right? So no matter what the culture says, no matter what the value of the day is, no matter what I would do in my own, the Proverbs are coaching me how to live with skill if I'm following after God today. They're for all of us to put into practice. This word refreshing there, it It comes from the summary verse at the end of each of the sections of the proverb. If you look down at verse uh, 13, there's there's our first reference to being refreshing. We'll be refreshing, verse 13, like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. The cold snow is refreshing. At the end of the second principle, we'll see in just a minute, look down at verse uh, 25. Like cold water to a thirsty soul 
So we've got cold snow and cold water. It's refreshing in a stale world to live with, this, with these principles in place. And the second concept here, in order to be uh, a refreshing influence in this world, we advance these two skills. We use the word advance there on purpose too. The word advance is found in verse 1. These also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. The word copied there, it means after 250 years, they pulled together a Best of Solomon album. You guys, maybe you have a a favorite band from the 80s or the 70s or the 60s, or some of you are are younger, so you have a favorite band from, you know, 2012. And you've got their best of in your mind, right? And, And they come out with these when they get so old that they can't, you know, get on the the playlist anymore. They come out with the best of, right? And so 250 years after Solomon, the people of Hezekiah are like, hey, let's review some of the things he was talking about. Take a look at what he was saying. And that's what they did. And they pulled it together and said, okay, now let's advance. Let's put forth the best of Solomon in these two areas of life. And the two areas of life are one, Well, let's just go with with one here because we're going to come back to this in a minute. With regard to those who have authority over you, here's the encouragement. Don't be such a know-it-all. Don't don't think that you know better. So in, in our work setting, there's an example of where we have to live in authority and we have no choice. You, you, you get a job and there's authority structures over you and you have to submit to your work authorities. In your family structures, God has some natural authority structures that you work out together. We're going to talk about dads and moms as we go through the sermon this morning. In municipalities, there are some natural structures in place. We submit to the authorities over us, right? And so in this world, we're going to be a refreshing influence. And so as we see here, with regard to those who have authority over you, don't be such... I know it all. So in your work environment in particular, I'm kind of emphasizing that. In the workplace, embrace the position that God has placed you in. And so the, these two things are spoken about in verses 2 and 3. So God is unsearchable and kings are unsearchable. And we think about the fact that God is unsearchable first. Note that he uses the name for, for God. He doesn't use the name Yahweh. So he's tying that back to this created order and how God created the heavens and the earth. He's transcendent. He's all-powerful. He's unsearchable. When we think about Job, and here Job was this faithful guy. He had lived his life faithfully, appropriately, righteously, and he was facing this situation where he had lost his wealth, he had lost his family, and all of Job, he's, answering, he's asking God the question, God, why? You ever ask God that? Why, God? Why me? Maybe you ask the question, God, how long? And so as Job is plugging through the why questions and the how long questions, we finally get to Job chapter 38, and God breaks in and, and literally talks to Job and says, okay, Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And that's God's answer. He didn't give him a why. He did not give him a how long, an answer to that question. He shut down the questioning by saying, the person is bigger 
And so while you can't trust or don't know what's going to come next in your situation, you can trust that God is at work in your situation. God is strong. And so we ask the question, why God? And Job asked the question, why God? And, and God sometimes answers the question, listen, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? My wisdom may be hidden to you. It may be hidden from you, but it's wisdom deeper and it's wisdom nonetheless. So trust me in this. God's at work in your situation. Well, my know-it-all tendencies make me prone toward a bad attitude if I don't understand. God, I don't understand what you're doing in this situation. And so, right now, I'm having a really hard time trusting you. And so I'm not turning to you and I'm not asking you anymore. I'm just kind of, kind of simmering in my own bad attitude. My know-it-all tendencies make me tr- prone toward a doubtful disposition if I don't have a positive outcome. I'm I'm doubtful. Maybe God's not at work. Have I come this far to be abandoned by God in this situation? And I'm doubtful sometimes, and maybe you are too, that God's still at work, even for you. Left unchecked, uh, that's going to lead me into a place of doubt. And on the heels of doubt will come discouragement. And just after discouragement will come disappointment. And right after disappointment comes bitterness. And if we're not careful, this thing that started so in our own mind justifiably innocent by just asking God a couple of questions puts us in a place where we are in a, we are in a uh, circle of bitterness in our life. And it started with, why God? And so we're asking God to open our ears because God's answer to that, again, God is unsearchable. And a lot of times his intentions for us are unsearchable as well. So as we move through these, these verses, what do we do? What are the wisdom principles we operate under while we are under authority in the workplace? We're under authority to God. What should be true about you and me in this situation? Okay, so he starts answering those questions. Verses 6 and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. So the first principle we see here is this principle of humility. Do not put yourself forward. Do not promote yourself. This is a mindset. So as you are going into your work setting, don't try to put your work out there in such a way that your boss will see your work is great or you're great, because that's the implication. Trying to control the situation by making other people think you're pretty good or you're great. Don't promote yourself. Do not willfully choose a higher place in a work environment. Here's the one that helped me the most. Do not Honor yourself. Resist that tendency. Wait until your superiors notice your hard work and call you forward. Verse 7. It's better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. And so the principle, principle number one for those people who are under authority is the principle of humility. Principle number two is the principle of preparedness. Be ready. Be ready. Consider every possible outcome to the situation. And that's found in 7b and 8. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. Here's the idea, guys, is that um, Proverbs 25 was written to young attorneys. And they were coming in and they were arguing their cases before the judges. And uh, the advice was, was simple. Look, don't be in the situation where you saw something happened and then you, you, you jump to the next conclusion and you think you know what happened. You ever get that in that situation? You walk in in a conversation, you hear words, 
and you think you know what the whole conversation was, but you don't know what the whole conversation was. Or you walk into a situation and you think you see, you, you think you saw exactly what took place and you start to interpret it in your mind and you're sure of it and then it turns out what you thought you saw is not exactly the way it went down at all. And so here Solomon is saying to these young officials, don't, don't see your part of the story and then go to court and say, well, this is what I saw and this is what it means. Because you're going you're to get yourself embarrassed when you haven't been prepared. You didn't prepare yourself for the work. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily, don't, and that's the key word of this proverb, do not hastily bring that into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? And here's the implication. If you do that enough, your career as an as a attorney will be over because you're not prepared. You, ha- you didn't do your homework. Come to work ready to work. Be prepared to do your best at your job. Okay, so getting specific, we have this humility, this way I view myself, and this preparedness, and all of the next advice coming down from Solomon to his sons, all of the next advice, it talks now about words and how we use our words as we relate to people in places of authority. So check out verse uh, 9. Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another's secret. Here's The third principle, confidentiality. Do not reveal another person's secret. Let that person tell their story. You don't be the one who tells their story. The implication here for the young attorney is it would be better for you to lose your case than to win it telling someone else's secret publicly. The implication is it would be better for your name to be thought ill of than for you to protect your name by telling someone else a secret. But we live in a world that, man, the concept of this confidentiality, Facebook makes it rare. Skepticism makes it hated. Anyone with a secret. We think we, think we deserve to know all the facts, right? And here we are learning that, well, in God's economy, if you're going to live your life wisely... We need to protect each other's uh, places of confidentiality. Now, when we say the word secret, that sounds negative, and I know it sounds negative. It's like, you know, they're they're doing something illegal, they're doing something immoral, and they don't want anyone else to know about it. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about something going on in their life that they don't want other people to know about for their own reasons, and we as friends of that, that person need to respect their desires. Don't reveal another person's secret. Timing. Timing is the next principle of of our words, okay? So uh, now we're down in verse uh, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So my, uh, my three sons, I'll just say this, Nikki and I are not the most artistic people in the world. Now, Nikki's got some artistic, like, with design, things like that, and colors, but if you get her with a pencil, pencil and a piece of paper and ask her to draw you something, I know what she's going to draw you right now. It's going to be a little dog with a tongue sticking out and a smile on his face. That's what Nikki can draw, and I know that because it's way better than what I can draw. So we get in a drawing contest. I let her draw the dog, and I say, yeah, there it is. And then the drawing contest is over. I lose, right? Because she drew something, and I didn't. 
Now, our kids in high school had this teacher that taught them how to do some artistic stuff, which was amazing. And he could, like, draw art out of people with almost no artistic skill whatsoever. And my, my sons would come home from Christian High, and they would have these almost like works of art. Like, I would say, you did, you did that? You didn't get it from mom. You didn't get it from me. I don't know where you got that from, because that, I can tell, that is a bird. Good job, you know? But seriously, they had skills, and it was, it was good skills. And so here's the point, is that none of us are artistic with our, the way we talk and our words in and of ourselves. But, but Solomon is here, the teacher, showing us how all of us can be someone who brings a work of art into this world. This world will be a beautiful place if all of us as believers purposefully take our words and bring them to the point where we are making art for one another. Beautiful, it says here, apples of gold in settings of silver. You can do that, right? And so here's the problem is a lot of times we just keep talking. We just say a lot of words, and we haven't thought through how to make the words beautiful. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, Where there are many words, sin is not lacking. But you can become a master artist, a genius with your words, sculpting beautiful works of art. That makes this world a beautiful place. Here's a couple of of thoughts on that. Uh, You may have to wait. You can't just make a a work of art with your words anytime you want. You can't just decide, now today I'm going to, you know, make the Mona Lisa, right? You, You have to wait. You have to gather the supplies. You have to think about the subject, You have to consider what needs to be done to get ready to make this beautiful work of art. Believers, we need to pray about that. How are we going to make this, what we're about to say to this person, how are we going to make it beautiful? And so you may have to wait. And by the way, you might not be the one to say the words. It could be someone else needs to say the words. Some of you are sculptors, and others of you are better with watercolors, And so you have to know who is the artist that needs to put these words on display to make this work of art. Think about your audience and the subject matter. Have you thought about the wording and and prayed through it? And lastly, in terms of the timing and what we say, do you have a listening wrongdoer? You notice down here at verse uh, 12, take a look at that. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Well, you might not have a listening ear. And if you don't have a listening ear, it's not time to put the work of art on display. It's time to wait. Wait till the Lord gets... It's interesting that it says listening ear. It doesn't say listening ears. I think my, our implication there is that we, when we reprove, we wait till the time is right, and we reprove in private, quietly. Not in front of the other kids. Not in front of a group of people. And so we praise publicly, that's beautiful, but we reprove privately, quietly. It's not a group project, right? When we have the listening ear. We make certain that our words are reliable. I think Solomon had been disappointed by the weatherman one too many times. Incidentally, This weekend has been crazy, but for three days, 
They had been saying in the news, we're going to have uh, lows in the 70s on Sunday, and so you better make sure you really, you know, hydrate out there. And I'm thinking, people of Arizona, if they heard our weather forecast in the last three days, they would be shaking their heads. Are you kidding me? So I know it's going to be warm out there, and everyone should go home and hydrate, do all that. But really, we've been, we've been terrified about, about lows in the 70s on Sunday for three days. The weatherman gets it wrong a lot, though, right? And so that's what he says here in verse 14. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts a gift he does not give. And so if you boast a gift, make sure you deliver the gift, especially in your work setting. You say what you're going to do. Verse 14 says, you're really going to frustrate people and change their expectation level if you're the kind of guy who talks about it but doesn't get it done. So make certain you get it done. Be a reliable promiser. Verse 15, he continues on. and Do this with gentleness. And so here we are again. We're before the king. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. And here's the concept is you go to the king and you, you, haven't, you haven't put yourself forward and you haven't told him what to do or uh, you, you, you've planted seeds. And we know that this is the end of this section because it started with the word king in verse 2 and it ends with the word ruler in verse 15. And we have these, we have these bookends on this section of scripture, the king and the ruler. In summary, look at verse 13. Here's the best thing we can give to our, those who are in authority over us, especially in the work setting. Like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his master. And here's the concept. You go to work, you get a, you get a message, you go out, you deliver it, you come back for your next order, right? That is refreshing in the workplace. Go out, get the job done, do it well, be prepared, don't gossip about the people you're working with. Come back, get your next work assignment. Keep doing that, and you're going to make the heart of the people who work with you uh, refreshed and encouraged. Hey, and as we, uh, just before we go into the second point of this proverb, and second and final point, you know, let me give some application for dads who might be here, okay? Here's some application for dads. As often as you can, in the presence of others, promote your children. Talk about their, what they're good at. Talk about what they, what they achieve in their lives. It's so easy for us as parents, especially when our kids are young, to focus on negative things or problems with their character or things that need to be improved upon. But it's really important for us as, as parents, not just dads, as often as we can and in the presence of other people, talk about what your kids are great at, even if your kid is right now struggling mightily in life. And it's easy to talk about the struggle. It would be easy to talk about the frustration that you have. Don't, don't, don't go there. Talk about what they're great at. Talk about what they're better at than all your other kids. Number two, keep your kids' secrets and be sensitive to their insecurities. You know, all of us are insecure, and you are too. And, and how would it be if, if you had a friend who was with you in public situations and whenever they had the opportunity, they were talking about the thing that you were the most sensitive about and the most insecure about. And that's what they kept bringing up every time you were with them. And yet, I have literally been around situations where moms, dads, 
have talked to me about their kids. Sometimes their kids standing right there. You know, that, they're not really college material. Wow. First of all, college isn't for everyone. So if they're not college material, God bless them. Secondly, a lot of people don't get the heartbeat for college until they get a passion for what they want to do and who they are in life. And then all of a sudden, anything's insurmountable because they found their passion. But parent, you can't take it back when you speak about your son or daughter in a negative way and with a little moniker like that, and then they hold it in their heart, maybe through their college years. No, I'm not college material. Uh, this kid, he doesn't think. He's a handful. He's our, he's our problem child. Really? Okay, so when we talk like that about any of our kids, even if they are right now going through problems, it's not helpful for them to hear those words. It's not helpful for your other kids to hear those words, right? It it would be great if 10 and 15 and 20 years down the road, they come back to you and say, hey, man, remember that? I was a problem child. And you say to them, yes, you were a problem (laughs) child. Not more than I was, but you were a problem child, right? But the wisdom of, of not exposing their secrets and those insecurities and instead uh, covering them over because of love, because that's what parents do. Praise them publicly and rebuke them privately if you have a listening ear. I know some of, you are, some of us are at the place where in our parenting we don't feel like we have a listening ear. And can I just tell you, as your kids get older and older, if you don't have a listening ear, don't reprove them. You're wasting your time, right? Have relationship and love with them in such a way that you draw them in to a listening ear. But if you don't have a listening ear today, uh, be very careful about offering rebuke. This says if you have a listening repenter, offer the rebuke. Praise them publicly, rebuke them privately and quietly, and especially not in front of the other kids in the home. Keep your promises to them. If you make a promise, keep a promise. Follow through. And what that really does is it draws us back to don't make promises you don't intend to keep because you will set expectations and frustration will increase exponentially if we make promises we don't keep. And then lastly, parent them differently as they get older. As they get older and older, we're we're doing more seed planting in their lives and less demanding in their lives as they grow in grace or as they grow in years especially. So, okay, so number one, with regard to those who have authority over you, don't be such a know-it-all. Humble yourself. Humble yourself, and where you can't search out every situation and you can't know God's heart on everything, we also can't know the king's heart on everything. We also can't know our boss's hearts on everything. And so humble yourself in that situation and realize you don't have to know it all, okay? Secondly, Let's look back up now. And so we're, uh, in order to be a refreshing influence in the world, advance the second skill. And the second skill is with regard to neighbors and peers, bring peace by devoting your heart to God. Bring peace by devoting your heart to God. Back up in verse 4 and 4. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. You know, I love the fact that in this verse, um, we don't know what the vessel is. What is the silversmith making? We are so obsessed 
with what we're going to be. We're so obsessed with our function. We're so obsessed with, with how I act in a situation. And in the USA especially, we get a lot of our like, identity from what we do. But don't you love in verse uh, 4 here? We don't know what the silversmith is making. And sometimes with your kid and sometimes with you, you don't know what God's making in your life. You're not sure what function he's going to use you in. But this you know. He wants to remove the dross so that whatever he makes is pure. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing in your life. It's what he's doing in the life of our children as well. He's making pure objects for his glory. So he's taking away the dross. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and that's the concept. We take away the wicked from the person, but we take away the wicked from the the people who are advising the king as well. So here, here it is. He wants us to live with skill in our communities. And so as we have relationships with the people around us, he doesn't want us to have these inconsistencies that muddy, literally muddy up the way we interact with people. And so in these peer relationships, uh, here's, here's something that we sometimes can add to the problem. Again, God is prescribing a skill, an expertise for you and me and how we ought to live. And now he's talking about how we live in relationship with peers. And, and he's saying, look, when, when you have a neighbor, a situation with a neighbor, uh, first thing he wants to see, see, verse 16, don't be an overindulger. All right? Learn how to moderate yourself. Don't be this person that just like gives himself in to one thing, and that one good thing becomes everything to them. Here's how he says it in verse 16. If you found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. The concept here is that you have honey that you did not kind of produce yourself. It's sort of a windfall, and don't just eat it till you're sick to your stomach, because too much of a good thing can start to create conflicts with your neighbors. And it can be conflicts that is because of your, my character. I'm an overindulger in this example. It's too much. And, and the unrighteous neighbor can see the righteous person overindulge, and now they have a, a problem with us. They have a reason for an argument, a reason for a criticism for us. Remove that. Take it away by not overindulging. Eat only enough honey for yourself. Verse 16, uh, or 17, uh, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. We might say it like this, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and vomit you. Right? Do people love when you come or love when you leave? That's the question. You should, you should be sensitive to that. And the concept here is honey's good and being a neighbor is good. But too much of a good thing is always a bad thing. And so don't let what started off as a good thing become bad by overindulgence. Sometimes there is an issue with a neighbor who's not a believer and we have to be sensitive to what we have added to it by our own lack of understanding of ourselves and our own lack of self-awareness. But not only overindulgence versus moderation, our use of words as well. We see in verse 18 that we can have devious words. We see in verse 19 that we can be passive people who don't respond to a need. And we see in verse 20 that we can have careless words to our neighbor. You have a neighbor in trouble? Be careful what you say 
to your neighbor in trouble. Verse 20. Whoever sings a song to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. The, the whole vinegar on soda thing is basically saying, hey, look, it's like it's, it's messing with the pain, it's messing with the, the sore, and it's offering no medicinal quality whatsoever. It's not helping in the least to heal the situation. And that's what it's like for you and I to go into our neighbor's house not aware of what they're going through and just start offering words, just start saying words. It says here, don't sing a song. Sometimes it's like late at night, and I'm kind of still like exercised, and I'll start singing a song, and it's like 10.30 at night, and Nikki, Nikki will look at me, and she'll just, she'll just be like, calm down, calm down. It's not time for dancing now. It's time for sleeping, right? I'm inappropriate, and I'm saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it's usually funny, but <laughs> Nikki doesn't find it as funny as I find it, but but here's some things I wrote down in this. I didn't think about what you do for a living before I gave my political opinion. I didn't think about your recent loss before I shared my incredible gain. I didn't think about your pit before I sung my song. I didn't think about your heavy load before I unloaded my light load on you. And we are these insensitive people sometimes. Can I, can I tell you, friends? Sometimes, especially if you have an unsaved person in your life, it's not always the right time to tell the truth. Did you know that? Some people aren't ready to hear about heaven the day their loved one passed away. They're just not ready for that. And I go in there singing a song because I didn't know their loved one that well. And because I think somewhere in my head, telling them the truth at this hard time is just the right thing to do, when in reality, sometimes it's time to... Zip it. Job's friends had it right in some respect in that when his life fell apart, the first thing they did is went and sat with him in the mire and they said nothing for day upon day. Sometimes that's a real blessing. Show up, say nothing. Because we don't know what they're going through. And the key here is that we're not insensitive, that we're thinking through what did they go through. You're driving home. Can I encourage you, husbands? You're driving home, and rather than think about the day that you've had and what you need to say and how you're going to process, pray that God would give you a heart for the people that you're driving up to, for your kids and your wife, so that when you walk through the door, you're not thinking about self. You're thinking about what your wife went through today and where her heart is and what she's thinking so that the first words out your mouth, out of your mouth, are not insensitive words, but they're words that you have, you have crafted to be a work of art because on your way home you were praying that God would help you see your wife or see your kids before you talked when you got there. Don't be careless with your words. Sometimes it's best to sit down in the mire and say nothing at all, and sometimes with regard to theology, because sometimes that's the thing we do too. Well, God is doing something bigger here. God is doing something greater here. Yeah, sometimes it's best to just say, I don't know what God is doing here. Let me hold you while we cry together. Because life is hard. Sometimes that's the best thing you can give. Quiet. Well, our use of words needs to be uh, wise 
and we stumble in our words, and then there, there's stuff we can be doing. Verses 21 and 22 say, look, you know, if, if your enemy is, do you have an, an enemy, by the way? You have a, somebody who is your adversary. An enemy does not mean you've drawn lines and you're on this side and they're on that side. You're literally shooting at one another. We're not talking mysteriously about something Solomon knew about, like, like some literal battlefield. An enemy is an adversary, somebody you don't get along with. Somebody in close relationship, and you can see their life, and you know what's going on, and you have chosen, rather than to respond to them negatively, seeing their plight and leaving them where they're at, you have decided to respond with the love and grace of God because he's responded to you in that way. And so rather than leave your enemy hungry, give them bread. I I wish it said, give them honey, because I think that would be funny. You got that honey you found in the cleft. I mean, come on, bring the honey over to them. But actually, the, the reference here is not that you're giving them honey, and it's not that you're giving them wine. In other words, you're not, you're not supplying above and beyond. You're supplying their basic needs so that your enemy has their needs met. That's Christian love. Verse 22 says, you'll heap burning coals on their head, and the Lord will reward you if you do that. The idea isn't that you're going to literally like make their life miserable. It's not this secret thing that Christians get to just mess with people by being nice to them. Uh, The idea here is that maybe God would bring them to repentance if you show them love. Maybe God would show them heaping coals as a a show of repentance. Maybe their heart would be turned to God if you show love, if I show love to my neighbor. And he goes on from there. Here's the bottom line, guys. Here's the bottom line. If we are going to to live wise lives here in 2018... The first thing we're going to need to do as we looked in those first verses is to uh, submit to authority and to realize that while we do indeed search the scriptures and believe what God has said about himself, there are many, many things about him we will never understand. And all of us in here today have to get get to a place where we're okay about that. Don't try to answer with philosophy. Don't try to answer with being all, you know, uh, insightful about everything. Sometimes we just don't know the answer. And secondly, when it comes to relating to other people in this world, we need to hold to righteousness, especially not adding to our neighbor's confusion by being overindulgent or by being horrible with our words or by withholding love and care for them when we have the ability to show the care. Because when that happens, look down now at verse 26. We're like a a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man that gives way. It's almost on this Father's Day like we're saying, well, our kids get really, really confused when we look back up now at verse uh, 25. Like Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. And that concept of good news from a far country, our kids get really confused when we give good news to the people around us, but at home, we're overindulgent, and we are terrible with our words, especially to them. We're careless as can be, and uh, we don't do anything to help the people, especially our enemies around us. We don't take any action in their life whatsoever, and then we announce good news to people, and our kids are saying, it's like a muddy water. It's like a spring. It doesn't make sense. You're telling me to live one way, but I see you live in another way. So the implication here is that we get wise. We humble ourselves before the Lord, and we receive what he said about himself, 
and what we don't understand about the Lord, we become okay with or we work through. And then we moderate our lives. And we use our words purposefully and wisely. And when our enemy around us has trouble, we feed them so that we are this, by God's grace, this clean, cold spring of water so that when we bring good news, and by the way, the good news is this, your kids and the people around us, though we were God's enemy, we've been brought near by the grace of God And God has made it possible in the person and work of his son to show us his love and to make us his own. And that message to our kids comes from a clean spring when we take these wisdom principles into account. Friends, we have a beautiful opportunity to be clean springs in this world and to let our words line up with our character as we devote ourselves to the things of the Lord. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. Father, these principles are beautiful, so I pray for each one of us. Could we develop a a humble heart before you? Not putting ourselves first, but doing our work diligently so that by your grace, you work the timing of when we will be promoted or not. And Lord, that we don't compromise, but in the area of moderation and words and actions, we're growing more and more obedient to you. So that this good news is refreshing, first to our, in our own homes, and then in larger circles in our communities, and then to the world around us as we give our lives over to you. Dismiss us now with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.